0: This podcast is recorded and produced on Gadigal land as well as other parts of Australia. In the spirit of reconciliation, Women's Agenda acknowledges the traditional custodians of country nationwide and their connections to land, waters and community. We pay our respects to elders past and present and recognise that sovereignty was never ceded, always was and always will be Aboriginal land. This episode includes discussions or references to sexual assault. It may be distressing or triggering for individuals who have experienced trauma related to this topic. If you or someone you know is struggling with the effects of sexual assault, please seek support from 1800RESPECT, the National Sexual Assault Domestic and Family Violence Counselling Service. You're listening to It Takes Boobs, a Women's Agenda special podcast celebrating the strength, resilience and grit of women across Australia. Through this series, we challenge the typical sexist trope of it taking balls to get big things done. Boy, is that wrong. I'm your host, Tyler Lambert, and this series is made possible thanks to our friends at Stellar Insurance. Sam Gash knows that it takes boobs to carve your own path. As an endurance athlete who has traversed the world on numerous long-distance expedition runs and adventure races, Gash uses her significant platform to advocate for various causes and remains a leading ambassador for global NFP World Vision. In this episode, Gash shares more about the catalyst for leaving a career in law for ultra running, finding power in moments of immense vulnerability, and recognizing that biting your tongue and being a good girl for the sake of sponsorship simply isn't worth it. Uh, Sam, thanks so much for speaking with me today and being on the podcast. I want to start at the beginning because your journey as an endurance athlete has taken you across numerous challenging terrains and pushed you to your limits. Um, I think it's fair to say Um, it's not exactly an easy life and career choice. Um, Can you take us back to the moment that sparked your passion for this path? Yeah, I'm so excited to
1: have this chat. Um, We've done so many articles over the years, so it's nice to be able to kind of see each other face-to-face. It is not a glamorous career path. Um, I think the push to the start line, but also from the start line to whatever is the finishing line, and it's very unpredictable, and I think it takes a certain type of person to be kind of comfortable with that. But for me, I would say like my background doesn't almost lend me to the person who can do this. I come from background being a bit rigid, A-type personality. I can get really stuck in a process. And so I've had to really work on the fact that a part of being an ultra-athlete is like building your confidence to get to a start line, working with a the process, then abandoning it because you've got to go with whatever circumstances are in front of you. And for me, it kind of began when I realised the power of trails not even trail running, but like Mm. the trails, that's the origin for me. It's like a restoration place. It's a place where I don't fret about what's past or what's to come. And I get to play. And I think finding play as an adult is really powerful. Like kids are so good at it, but somehow we lose our way at some point. And so my final years of high school, my mum was like, go on the trails. Like we lived in Listerfield Lake, or very close to it. And I was a bit of a study nerd, Um, which I'm proud of now. um, I didn't (laughs) know it was was a good thing. Um, And so I would hop on the trails and it would be a great place. And then as I got to university, I was studying a law degree and I thought that's what I was going to be. I was going to be a lawyer. Uh, I started a job as a corporate lawyer at Baker McKenzie and I kept finding ways to be away from the desk (laughs) thinking, oh, they don't understand me (laughs) and really just wasn't the right place for me. And so I Um, I guess one of the easiest ways of being away at the desk is kind of moving um, and having a legitimate (laughs) path that forces you to move all the time. (laughs) Uh, And so I fell into it as like a desire to seek something more, to feel more fulfilled, to go into locations around the world that sparked my curiosity. And so, yeah, Mm -hmm. I think endurance
0: athlete as a career kind of came more from looking for something more. I can't imagine... Two more different pathways than falling into law <laughs> and being an endurance athlete. So that's phenomenal that that's where you started. Um, and also that the words of your mum kind of were the instigating part to that as well. In 2010, at the age of 25, you became the first woman and the youngest person at the time to complete the four deserts Grand Slam. So four 250 kilometer desert ultra marathons completed in four deserts in the world. So Atacama, Gobi, Sahara, and the Antarctic in one calendar year. And at the time, only two male athletes had completed the challenge. Can you share more on that experience and what led you to take that on? oh,
1: took that baptism of fire, where well, you don't know what you don't know and therefore <laughs> naivety is amazing. <laughs> um, so this was like the start of my ultra running career. And I read about these two Australian guys who had done a 250-kilometer run in the Sahara Desert. And so like I read about that and I was really intrigued and then I jumped on this website called Four Deserts and I started to follow athletes taking it on and they got to write a blog each night Um, as they were doing this stage race. And I remember not knowing anyone doing this, these people from other parts of the world, like South Africa and, you know, all different parts. And I was captivated by their stories because it was so raw and real because they were riding as they were still in it. And then a couple of months later, I met this lady called Linda Quirk. She was an American, she was in her 50s. And I met her in Melbourne as she was doing the Melbourne Marathon as a part of like a series of events she was doing. And I was doing my very first marathon. And for me, that was the pinnacle, like that was endurance sports. Uh, And I met her and she told me that she was doing these four deserts races the following year. And I was like, I've heard about this stuff. Like it just kind of seemed to all come together. And I was so inspired by her that I decided to sign up for one of the events. And it was like a massive leap because I barely finished the marathon. So to then kind of say, oh, yeah, I'm going to do, essentially six marathons in five or six days seemed like you know catapulting yourself into the unknown um but I like to put it mildly yeah take it just you know it was it was a big thing I didn't know what I was getting myself into and I think that helped signing up and then I got there and it was harder than I could imagine but also more liberating than I thought and but that was meant to be it like I was meant to go back to being a law student, kind of progressing on the pathway. I just got my graduate job at Baker and Mackenzie. Um, it was already a big deal to take off that time from uni, but I realized that no woman had ever done all four and I just was like, I want to know more I want to feel more and I just somehow like pulled the pieces of the puzzle together to make all four happen in a year and I say it like it happened so easy. It was like, I managed to make the next one happen and then the next one and then the next one. It was like a lot of leaping frogs, but there was a good dose of good timing for me, a bit of luck. And the reality was like just pushing really hard because I knew this was a point in time where if I just kept grinding and like trying to get a sponsor and just keep showing up that maybe I could make this thing happen out of nowhere. And I, I do think that's one of my strengths. I think I can create something from nothing, if I really, really believe it and I back myself, um, that that's the formula. I've got to believe in it and I've got to back myself, and then I do the hard work to make it happen.
0: I want to just draw on a point that you made there. Uh, you made there just about finding a sponsor to make that happen, and we've obviously seen this big moment around women's sport in recent times. But how? easy or challenging was that process in actually finding support and people to back you, companies to back you to do that? Oh, this is like 13 years ago. It was really hard. I mean,
1: I can be persistent and I think you need to be, and you have to be comfortable getting a lot of no's. Uh, My very first sponsor was my university and I told them that I was an athlete representing Australia. (laughs) And I thought it was kind of true because I did put a national... It is
0: true. It was
1: true in the sense that I did get a nationality patch on. So I was like, well, there's this drone flag. Um, But it's not like I was an elite athlete and it's not like ultra running at that time was an elite sport. I wasn't classified that way. But my university backed me and helped me with my registration fee, which was incredibly expensive for anybody, but definitely a university student kind of pulling dollars together to make it happen. Um, And then I paid for my way to get there. But after I did the first race, I was like, oh, my gosh, I've got to go back to the drawing board. Like there's, I'll pull in as much of my own money and I'll work really, really hard in between. But there was a gap between like what I needed to make it happen and what I had. And I will say right now for anyone listening, I do think there's power in putting your skin in the game. Financially committing to making your dreams happen I think is a really powerful motivator to push you when it doesn't work. If you get it all paid for by a sponsor, sometimes you haven't like invested fully. Mm. Uh, and so like I always do back myself as much as I can. And then the next part is I just, re- I think I wrote to over a hundred different companies and I just went from head to toe. What are all the different brands that might get involved? And then I I thought about what was my uniqueness? Like what was my unique proposition in this thing? And I was like, you know what, what's unique is that I'm like an everyday person who comes from a background who, who wasn't sporty but believes this is possible, I'm going to represent myself as the everyday person doing a grand big adventure that most people would rule themselves out on because they consider themselves to be ordinary. And that was my angle. And a brand came on board who liked that positioning. And then we started a relationship, but they said, we're not going to pay for your next registration until you finish the race before. So it's not like they laid down all the rego. They did it like incrementally because I
0: think part of them. They made you work for it.
1: Yeah, I mean, they thought I might not do it. Um, and so why would they put their money down?
0: Mm,
1: mm. Uh, and so that's how it worked. But, I mean, it was a lot of bit of soul searching and what was my proposition, what could I truly speak to, what would be authentic, and then finding the right partner. Since then, mm. like, there's times when it's really, really hard. Like, when I decided to traverse India from west to east, i had had a lot of credibility to that point um, with the projects that I had done. And it was really, really hard. I was a woman running in a country where people deem it to be possibly unsafe. It was harder for people to think, oh, we can get behind that and not to be like, oh, we're supporting a woman doing something dangerous. Although at the time there was a man who was doing it from north to south and it was amazing to see, like the government get behind him. Mm. Like, It was like so many doors were being opened and it felt like I was literally pushing a boulder Uh, Mm. at times you just wish it was a little bit easier but if you back yourself and keep going like momentum counts all in all it's hard I speak to a lot of female athletes particularly in the endurance space it's really hard to get not only is it hard to get credibility to get the support but once you have the support it's hard for people to hard to get media attention and it's hard to get your story out and I find a lot of women are doing these things not just for themselves but often for reasons beyond themselves and that's still not good enough um Mm -hmm. it's hard
0: Mm -hmm. do you feel like that is
1: shifting in more recent times some in column a and some definitely not in column b um you know it's great seeing the Matildas get the support over the last couple of months I mean I wonder if they'd lost their first game like you know, would, you know, you have to kind of get success on a national, international level for it to work. I mean, they're the pinnacle, like, hopefully, they would have the acknowledgement of the country and the support. Um, But if you're talking about other types of local sport, or, uh, you know, individual women, pushing boundaries and pioneering spaces that they haven't typically belonged in, it's still really, really hard. And it's not just a male, female thing, like, You've got to remember also sport typically has been viewed more from a male perspective. So guys do typically get behind guys doing sports. It's less familiar for them to watch a female doing it because it hasn't been the norm. And so the way I see it is like you've just got to keep showing up. More women doing it and then more women acknowledging other women doing it and not feeling threatened because they don't want to do it, it all counts. And so I remember when I I did a project across Nepal last year, it was so challenging to get media attention. Simultaneously, Ned Brockman's running across the country, and it was like the most viral campaign ever. And it was amazing. His story was incredible, and he deserved that attention. But I knew a bunch of women
0: who were doing great stuff at that time that couldn't
1: even scratch the surface of that kind of exposure.
0: Endurance sports require immense physical and mental resilience. Could you share a pivotal moment during your career when you had to overcome something mammoth? In the context of this series, I guess, um, what is your most memorable it-took-boobs moment? Oh, oh, it's a pretty
1: vulnerable story to tell, but I think given the context and the women listening to this, like I was doing a race in Egypt, I was running um, a across a Sahara Desert. And on day one of the race, there was like it's very remote. There's no one around. It was sand dunes and sand dunes just cascading all the way around you. You're carrying this heavy, heavy pack because it's day one. So you've got all your food and gear for six days of the race. So it's like the time when you really feel burdened by that physical weight. And I'm under five foot and carrying close to 25% of my body weight on my back at the beginning. So mm. it's like it's like a running tortoise. It's hilarious. But I saw a local on one of the sand dunes and I thought that he might have been one of the supporters that the um, organisation had brought on to guide people in the direction, which was different because you normally partially navigate your way through these courses. That person had nothing to do with the race. Um, He ended up just being probably an opportunist, seeing a woman in Lycra and, you know, I had a sexual assault incident. Mm. In the end, I got out of that situation because there was a man on a moped who startled him away and it took me seven kilometres to find someone else or, yeah, it took me quite some time to find someone else and I was by myself and I forgot to drink water. Um, Obviously my anxiety and my, it was a horrible kind of period of time before I found someone and the first person I found was the filmmaker. Mm -hmm. And I remember this moment now in hindsight, she like put the camera down you know, it must have been an interesting moment going like, am I a personal filmmaker? And she put the camera down and helped me to get to the next checkpoint. And in that point, all I was thinking is like, I've got to get out of here. Like this, it burst the bubble of the world of the run. And all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in a country where the status of women is incredibly inferior to that of a man. I'm doing a race and maybe I was wearing the wrong thing. And all this stuff was going through my head and I was dehydrated In the end, I took a pause. I I took a 45-minute pause and I had pulled out of the race. And then over time, I realised I I just have to go back out there. I have to go back and finish the last section of the race and turn this story not into where I let someone who I would never ever see again control what this experience is going to mean to me, but for it to be something that I can be proud of. So I got back to the spot where I stopped and I finished the final leg of the race and then continued on for the next five days. And so I would say like that's a very defining moment for me where we can't always control the things that happen to us. Oh my God, we, we so can't. But we do have power over our responses to these situations and we don't always act perfectly in the moment. And I think if you give yourself the the benefit of time, In fact, momentary pause is really powerful to help the overwhelm reduce and to allow you to realise you have so many options at your disposal about how you want to go forward. Um, So that's been a massive lesson, like from something that could have been horrific. It's something I carry through to me for the positive. It leverages me forward in everything that I've done Mm -hmm.
0: since
1: then. Do you know what? I don't actually often tell that story because there's probably still that very little inner voice of like feeling uncomfortable still feeling a little bit like when I tell it it's a victim story or that it's the most important story in my life. And it's actually none of those things, but it is an important moment to realise your power. Uh, And so this audience is probably predominantly female. There's probably many, many women on this
0: who listen to this Mm -hmm. podcast that relate to a scenario like that. And people that have gone through similar things.
1: Absolutely. And I think the challenging things that happen to us, they can either be the things that anchor us down in a negative way or they can be tools to propel us forward.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's an an amazing outlook to have and such a challenging one to, I guess, get to. I imagine that balancing the demands of training and competitions and parenting and personal life can be ridiculously immense uh, in your experience, how do you manage to maintain the equilibrium?
1: I mean, I don't know if there is an equilibrium and maybe the acceptance of that is part of the way to go forward. Um, yeah, I'm a mum. I'm a partner. I'm a friend. I'm a daughter. I'm a sister. I'm, you know, I have a community uh, through my business, Her Trails, and I like to be in service and connection to those women quite personally. So there's a lot of different hats. I mean, so many women that I meet have many, many hats. We hold a lot. It's our power, but it's also like, it's a lot. Um, I think at any one time, you can't have too many priorities. So you can have these things in your life, but you go, okay, this, at this point in time, this is what is the number one. And the other things hopefully can complement, obviously, your role as a mom never changes. And that's, that's the grounding thing. But you also are still an individual and you wanna have extension and you wanna strive and you wanna be, yes, you wanna do it because you wanna be a good mum, but also you wanna do it because you wanna do it for you. And that is bloody okay. So last year I left my son for 50 days to traverse Nepal. The number one question I was asked every time when I told people I was doing it was, oh, how are you gonna cope being away from your son? And I'm like, well, no shit, Sherlock, it's gonna be tough. (laughs) But I don't want to wake up when I'm 70 and realise that I had a very small window of time physically, mentally, emotionally to do something that really called to me and I let it slip through my fingers because I was worried about the perception and the expectations of other people.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And it's hard because, of course, I'm pulled too. Like I want to be physically with my son. He's five. He's the most beautiful soul. But I also want to journey. I want Mm -hmm. to stretch myself, and sometimes that identity, yeah, it's so important to me. You know, I didn't have, I wasn't a mum till I was thirty-four, so I still want to honour the version of me. You know, that sits beside motherhood. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't stop me being a mum. It just can look different for that window of fifty days. Um, and I took my son with me before I actually went on that traverse. We went to Nepal and we did like a one-day trek together. So my four and a half year old and I like traversed the Langtang Valley, just the two of us. And I had a Nepalese guide and a Sherpa and it was insane. And I would say at least four times a week, Harry brings up that time. <laughs> like it's just like formative bonding. Um, and if I wasn't doing something like that for myself, then I wouldn't have thought to kind of, how do I combine him to have extension? Um, so all in all, I would say it's hard. There's no formula that works for everyone. Know your tribe of women specifically who uplift you to be a version of yourself for yourself the biggest criticism and dialogue that you'll have is probably within your own head you know everyone else might say something but the the hardest stuff you've got to wrestle with is you
0: Mm. um and then I would say like
1: yeah One day at a time. (laughs)
0: Um, Yeah, I think as well as a five-year-old boy uh, and your mum's an endurance athlete. I think there's possibly nothing cooler in a five-year-old boy's brain. So I think what he'd get out of that as well is significant.
1: Yeah, and I still wrestle with the fact that. So I do a lot of sport with my son, like I take him mountain biking and all that stuff, and I still have him say to me, "Oh, but my dad's my coach." I was like your dad's never been on a bike with you and it's just it's funny how like how do they get it so early like you know he has a mom who's so active and even with that exposure somehow he still Mm -hmm. um is experiencing something that tells him it should be the male figure in his life that's his coach so it's just it's very interesting for me to watch it now like it's just it's interesting like um you know, we still have a long way to go. And even with great role models, we still have to talk about it a lot.
0: Yeah, I have a three-year-old son and I encounter similar issues. So I, I empathize entirely. How has your career as an athlete shaped your perspective on life resilience and, and the pursuit of goals? I guess you just spoke a bit a bit about that just now, but, you know, the personal growth of of the pathway that you've taken.
1: I think the biggest thing is, You shouldn't let your past experiences or the invisible rules that you create impact what you perceive that you can do in the future or what you can do in the now. Um, I think I've spent a lot of time trying to recraft the narratives that I possibly built up based on how I was as a kid. You're small. You're not strong. You're uncoordinated. You can't do that. Um, And You know, you're scared of heights. And the thing is, like, all that stuff still exists, even though I've constantly redefined it through experience and proven it to myself. So I think you can sit side by side with like fear and concern and anxiety and self doubt. And you can find a way through experience to silence that down and to be the version that you want to be. So I think experience and putting your skin in the game can help you build the confidence to keep showing up to
0: what's important. Mm. Speaking of what's important, um, your pursuits are regularly tied to various causes and charitable efforts, including as an ambassador for World Vision. Um, how do you see the intersection of sports and advocacy and how has it influenced your journey? Was Was it always the plan?
1: Yeah, I think it was always the plan. Um, when I was a kid, I either wanted to be an actress <laughs> or a lawyer for the UN. Now I didn't practice law in in a human rights international space. But ironically, like those origins of desire for contribution and service, which I thought I would pursue through the law, I just then superimposed that desire and did it through endurance sports and community. And so, no, I think I'm hard bent for that. And I think you get so much through endurance. And I've been able to travel around the world and see how different people live their life, and I am hardwired to connect that with, you know, trying to make an impact, whether it's small or large. And I love collaborating with like-minded people with different skill sets. So like I know what I'm good at. The reality is on my own, I can only go so far. And so then like partnering with in the largest, you know, international organisation, not-for-profit World Vision has been able to help me expand the type of impact that we can have, storytelling in a different type of way, I've been able to go to, you know, when I traversed um, India in 2016, it was about exploring the various barriers to quality education that children across India face and how different locations in the country would impact what the barrier might be. So when you're in Rajasthan, in the west of the country, it's, you know, it's it's the remoteness, it's the prevalence of the sex trade, it's the high um, ratio of child marriage. And you go into these regions and you've, you come in there from like maybe the perspective of what I live and think, oh, how can a parent put their child into that type of industry? Then you get there and through World Vision I was able to meet those families and you hear about issues of, well, if we don't get food on the table through the employment of my child in, you know, the sex trade, we can't support our family at all. Like there would be no food. And you see the challenge of it. Um it's so complex and I think understanding humans are inherently wanting to do the right thing and endurance sports has been my capacity to see that. It also places in perspective like the very chosen suffering that I have as an athlete. Like, you know, it's funny how like it's amazing that I could run three and a half thousand kilometres across India. It was so incredibly physically and mentally hard and I think a massive driver for me to be able to get up every day and push through that was the types of work that I was able to be exposed to through the communities I had access to. You know, the, the the thing of putting one foot in front of the other is really easy in contrast to, you know, the experience that other people are having. Um, so I think it's it's tied, it's been really pivotal to the things that I've done. Mm.
0: In a world that often idealises instant success, um, your story proves that the cut through of consistent long-term grit and tenacity, how do you stay focused on your goals during inevitable moments of doubt? Oh, I've had one this year. Like this has been my hardest year of self-doubt.
1: And like you'd think, why would I have that one? I've got yeah. so many experiences that should have bolstered my confidence. I guess like at the beginning of this year, I was dropped from my major partner that I had for the last seven years. Ironically, at the most bizarre time, for seven years I was with that partner when they never had um, endurance or ultra running as their sport and I was kind of helping them carve that space um, through product and knowledge and insight. This year they decided to start mm. focusing on that sport and they dropped me and they ghosted me. And after seven years of being in a relationship with them, I just was like it was a shocking experience to have. And I was like you're mm. finally representing the sport that I have. You know, and I backed you when you didn't do that, and now you're dropping me, and you're not even speaking to me. It was fascinating to kind of see how that impacted my confidence. You know, things happen for a reason. I definitely see sponsorship as a discretionary budget, and you should never think of it as absolute. Um, But I've had to wrestle with like how I see myself and the fact that I like my the side of me that's. tries to wrestle with not being a people pleaser and wanting to be liked and the reality is sometimes as an endurance athlete you do things that are a reflection that you're happy to push the envelope and pioneer and be ahead of the curve and do hard things and that's not always gonna get you a sponsor and that's a part of what makes your special DNA to do those hard things. So, yeah, this year has been a hard year for me. It like, started my year, it framed my year, and I feel it circulating more than I ever would have before.
0: Mm. Why do you think something like that has affected you so much more at this stage in your career? I think because I saw that
1: partnership as like family, and family so important to me. I think often I always say like end a partnership in the same way and the same spirit as you start it. Because at the beginning, you often get sold a lot, like a partner wants to get you on board and they make you feel like you belong. Actually, I think that's the answer. I think the answer is like a sense of belonging is really important. I think we live in like this epidemic of loneliness. And so when you think that you found your people, that makes you feel secure and valued and that you can be your individual authentic self and you're not judged for it. And I think the breaking of that tie in the way that it happened, not the breaking of it, like that's okay, but in the way that it happened, brought up all those like insecurities of like, oh, you don't belong. You shouldn't have given that critical piece of feedback. Like I started to think of all the things that I had done wrong versus like maybe the partnership had seen itself to its natural conclusion. There's respect there, but it's just not meant to be anymore. And that's okay. I think it was how it was done and it broke my sense of belonging.
0: Mm.
1: (laughs) I've never talked about that publicly, but it really rattled me this year.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's an experience that would resonate. Obviously, Mm. you know, not many women listening to this podcast will have sponsors. um, But I think that 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 sense of building something up with with partners um, that you work with and then that being taken away or even on a personal capacity, you know, Similar things with relationships or relationship breakdowns, you know, it's it does rattle us like it's it's a natural human response. Um, but I would also say very, very emphatically that it is absolutely their loss,
1: (laughs) yeah. Yeah, And that's when you it's also like you have to also own the direction that you're choosing to go, and that's not always in synergy with a partner, which is why I say it's a discretionary spend, and like you know, it's. It's sometimes it's also a freedom to let things go. Um, go, oh, new opportunity, and it's exciting too. So, like, change is as good as a, I got a haircut. You know, like I was like, let's just change this a lot now, um, and it, it's been actually great. But I, you know, I still, um, I still have those swirlings of insecurity that I maybe I always had them before, but that sense of belonging tied me, gave me a deeper resonance.
0: Mm. Can you share a sneak peek into? the future plans and aspirations that you have, what's next and and how do you plan to continue inspiring others? Because frankly, that's exactly what you do.
1: I'm really deeply invested in my business, Her Trails. Um, I feel like I've been so lucky to like push the envelope personally, physically, I mean, ultimately spiritually through, you know, voyaging into lands that I'm so unfamiliar with in spaces that I definitely haven't felt like I've belonged into. And I've become a really capable person because of it. And I think many women hold themselves back. They don't give themselves the space of time because they feel like they're so tied to the other priorities in their life, which are important, but their own personal expansion is critical too. So we have this business where I mean, on the weekend, I had 70 women running on the trails in the Dandenong Ranges, it was the most powerful site of strength and support. And it just shows me like you can do hard things and be supportive and feminine and care. Uh, And so that's my focus right now. I'll I'll always still do expeditions when it's right. I'm doing more work with World Vision. Um, We've got some great um, social impact plans moving forward. And simultaneously, like what I want to keep doing is encouraging other women to find their inner wild.
0: Finding your inner wild, I think, is a great note to end um, this episode on. Sam Gash, thank you so much again for, for joining um, the It Takes Boobs podcast and sharing your amazing story. Oh, thank you for
1: having me. Mm-hmm.